I am Joshua P. Warren, and this is Joshua P. Warren Daily. Well, you know, my good buddy and paranormal investigator Christian McLeod has been a busy man for a long time. He is in Asheville, North Carolina. He investigates ghosts, cryptids, UFOs, tunnels, magic. I mean, he and I have looked into all this kind of stuff on both sides of the country. Uh, Christian holds college degrees in psychology and criminology, and he's a graduate of my Warren Institute of Paranormal Research online paranormal investigator course. Christian has been in the New York Times. Uh, He speaks at REI events, and he is a haunted Asheville tour guide in North Carolina, and he gets rave reviews. But his main true love is cryptozoology, and that is the study of animals, creatures that may or may not exist. So some examples might be like Bigfoot or the Loch Ness Monster or Mothman, but there are millions of different creatures uh, that get discovered every decade, most of them little tiny things, and uh, sometimes big things. Sometimes new apes are discovered, sometimes fish are discovered that were supposedly extinct millions of years ago. There are many possibilities when it comes to cryptozoology, and so Christian is the president of the Asheville Cryptid Society in North Carolina. So a lot of people know Christian McLeod as the cryptid guy, and so fittingly, he now has a brand new website called cryptidguy.com. That's spelled C-R-Y-P-T-I-D, cryptidguy.com. So you know what? I figure it's a perfect time to talk with him to see what's happening in the world of monsters and mysterious research. So, Christian McLeod, amigo, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me here. I am, I'm flattered and honored to be on your podcast, brother. Uh, I just can't tell you about how, uh, how much it means to be here and be able to talk to you, especially after your uh, incredible discovery. I mean, I don't know when a guy like me is going to be able to talk to someone uh, who just got in the Newsweek again, but I sure appreciate it. <laughs> well, thank you very much. Uh, you know, you've been in the New York Times. You know, that's pretty darn good. Uh, and, and in fact, you were in the New York Times in, uh, in conjunction with an article about Coast to Coast AM and George Norrie. And, uh, of course, George Norrie is going to be in Asheville uh, next month in August. And so who knows what uh, interesting things we might have going in conjunction with that uh, project as well. But anyway, so Christian, um, for those, of course, you know, I just gave you a decent little bio here, but for those people who, who really want to know more about your background and how you got interested in all this, uh, tell us a bit about where you're originally from and, and what led you down this path. Well, actually, I'm originally from a real small town in Maine, um, and uh, I, I used to watch – one of my favorite shows was uh, In Search Of, and being in this small town, we only had three channels on the little black and white, so I used to watch In Search Of as much as I can. But what really, really got me interested in this is uh, my grandfather uh, and I, we used to walk in the woods when I'd see him. He, he died when I was very young, but I remember this. And uh, we came upon some really, really big footprints. And I was a little kid, five maybe. So any footprint was pretty big to me. But he kind of had a little uh, hesitation about going any further. So we went back inside. And I remember my grandfather telling my dad not to let me or my sister out in the woods for a while. And I heard uh, him use a term called boss of the woods, and I never knew what that meant until years and years later. 
but after my grandfather died, it came out he spent uh, after he was he was a pilot in World War II, and after he was in World War II, he spent uh, a year in Alaska, and he became acclimated with some of the wildlife in Alaska before he moved back to uh, New England, and uh, apparently uh, somewhere along the lines, I think he had a run-in with the boss of the woods. Uh, it's another name for Bigfoot or Sasquatch. So that just kind of, I guess, got the ball rolling. And ever since then, I uh, would read books. I remember seeing, I don't know how many teams, uh, how many times I've seen uh, Sasquatch, The Legend of Bigfoot, uh, just stuff like that. And I just, it was always intriguing to me. And I could never get enough of it. And then, of course, you go from one to the other. And then there's aliens, and you got to love that. And it just kind of culminates. And here I am today. Just do, doing my thing, doing as much research as I can, and uh, trying to get as many people interested in the subject as possible. You know, trying to spread the word. Well, you know, last year you and I teamed up, and we took mm-hmm. a group of people on a van tour around western North Carolina. And we took them to places where ghosts had been seen, where little people have been reported, where UFOs have been seen, where various types of creatures have been seen. And you were talking to the group about some of the things that you have seen with your own eyes. Um, Before we get into some of those other kind of little weird subjects like, you know, ghosts and trolls and sprites, would you mind repeating that story you told about something you personally saw that freaked you out? Yeah, you know, Josh, I uh, I would love to. Um, it's it's one of these things, and uh, in, in people have certain events in their lives, and I don't call them game changers. I just they, they tend to stick with you. And uh, the best way I can describe it is, I saw a living creature that could literally only be described as a werewolf. Uh, it was huge and black. It had these big greenish yellow eyes. And uh, for the first time in my life, I actually saw something kind of just look right through me, and it literally shook my soul to the core. And after that, um, it just kind of culminated with all my other interests. And uh, I've been looking for them ever since. And a lot of people call them uh, dogmen, werewolves, things of that nature. But after doing a lot of research, that's something that's indicative to this area and it's it's in the Cherokee folklore a lot. Uh, a lot of people call them skinwalkers, but um, I think that's why one of the reasons why I love living in Asheville so much is because you know there's such a rich history of cryptid activity, and it goes hand in hand with the Cherokee mythos in this area. So um, I've been lucky enough to see that on one occasion, and as of recently, we ran into uh, something that had left a 19 and a half to 20 uh, inch footprint in front of us and when we got to the location the part of the heel was still pulling up with water so that was about two weeks ago so there's been a few things i've been lucky enough to see that have just completely made me uh i guess die hard in the uh explaining cryptids world if that makes any sense and uh you know it's it's one of these things where i know these cryptids exist because i've seen them and i i honestly say i've literally become obsessed with proving their existence to science and the rest of the world. And uh, I have been so lucky with the company I've kept and the people I do this with. Uh, you were definitely included in that, my friend. Uh, I wouldn't be doing this if it hadn't been without your support and uh, tutelage, and I will be forever grateful for that. 
Well, thank you for those kind words, and uh, it's uh, been amazing how how quickly that everybody that uh, knows me has gotten to know you and vice versa because we have so many common interests. And uh, I'll, I'll never forget the, fir- the very first time I met you. We met at the Asheville Masonic Temple, and uh, I-, I walked in, and you were working on some kind of complex sacred geometry sort of equation or something, and you were just immediately started asking me all of these really deep questions. And I was like, who is this guy? Um, so you know, we have all those shared interests. And uh, you know, that's one thing that also intrigues me about um, your particular view on cryptids. Because when you're, when you're out there in the field like we were, and you're looking at places where people see not just one type of paranormal phenomenon, but a whole spectrum of them, they, they have one spot which not only has ghosts, but also has UFOs and little people and cryptids. How do you think all of that stuff may or may not connect? You know, I'm one of these guys, and maybe it's too much X-Files when I was younger, but I think everything is connected. And I think there's just this whole vast array of things that people have yet to either identify or experience or admit to actually being true. So I think there's probably just, well, let me give an example, and I'm going to go off track here, but, you know, if you think about this, Josh, there's literally 15 to 18,000 species discovered a year, and that's, that's pre-microorganisms. So that's, that's just something new, like a new bug. Now, granted, five to 8,000 of those are just being reclassified, but that just gives you an example of what's actually out there and the size and, and the scape of the planet we live in. You know, there's... 7.1% of this planet has yet to be discovered on land, Josh, and that, that's taking out deserts and uninhabitable areas. So you, you literally have this vast amount of space. I mean, it's incredible. Um, you know, this is something – we were talking about this not too long ago, and it, it's something that I, I think is relevant just to this discussion. We literally have, if you think about it, acre-wise, uh, there's 15.7 billion acres of habitable land on this planet. Now, there's about mm, roughly 7.4 billion people on this planet. So if you were to give every person on this planet an acre of land, you would still have 8.3 billion acres left of undiscovered. I mean, you know, think about that. Think about that amount of space. So this all wraps into itself because you literally have this gigantic area where things can live. Now, who are we to say that things don't live underground and things don't live in harmony with each other? You know, who's to say that Sasquatch and the little people or Pukwudgies don't live in harmony? You know, maybe we're the invasive species to them. So, you know, there's, there's just so many different ways you can go with this. But I personally think that, you know, cryptids, most cryptids that are reported, there's probably a lot of validity to them. I mean, look how many Sasquatch sightings. It was, what, 1,500 Bigfoot reports last year? Sightings, reputable. So, I mean, again, it's just one of these things. There's, there's so much space out there that it's discovered. It's been mapped by satellites. But as yet, you know, 7%, think about that. 7% hasn't been, discover, hasn't been physically, you know, gone on or, or mapped out or explored by human beings. So I think when people talk about cryptids and they say, oh, that's ridiculous, blah, blah, blah. I think there's just there's so many other variables, especially when it comes to space and where these creatures can hide and, and how many of them there are, that, you know, to, to dismiss it is just kind of, you know, it's ridiculous. And, again, it's like, you know, it's the old adage, 
You know, how do you know air exists? Because you breathe it. Well, have you ever seen an oxygen molecule? Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, it's, it's one of those things. But I, I, I honestly believe that they run in tandem. I think where there's one, you know, you'll, you'll see more than one. You know, you'll see something else. Like if you see a Bigfoot, there's usually a puck wudgie somewhere. Or if you see a puck wudgie, then you'll see, you know, maybe um, uh, a water entity or, uh, you know, something of that nature. So I, I think they kind of relatively lived in harmony before uh, Europeans and, and other people came and settled this area. And, you know, they, they can still do that. And like I said, I think we're probably the interlopers. And that's why they can get along. And we're just the cause of all the problems, I guess, is the best way to explain it. So, I mean, realistically, you know, I, I think there's a hierarchy to cryptids. And uh, I think there was long before we were here, and there probably will be long after we are gone. If that all right. So uh, <laughs> how, do you, um, how do you try to distinguish between the possibility of some cryptid being a normal biological creature that's just undiscovered versus something that might actually be of more of a non-tangible or inter interdimensional nature. For example, creatures like Mothman that seem to exhibit these characteristics that no other animal known to, to mankind exhibits. I mean, how do, how do you distinguish between those possibilities? Well, because, Josh, we haven't discovered every creature on this earth yet. So we don't know all the biological intricacies of every creature yet. So Mothman, I'm, I'm a firm believer Mothman's real. Is it a harbinger? I don't know. Maybe it just showed up in West Virginia and pointed place that, that one time and, and liked it and came back and then there was a tragedy. But does that make it a harbinger or is it just an unknown cryptid? You know, you, you, a lot of people, they see things and then something bad will happen and then that becomes a bad omen. So I, don't, I wouldn't discount it as being a natural biological creature. I mean, it's very possible that it's a real biological creature. We just haven't discovered it yet. And, you know, for people to say supernatural, well, when you have something seven to eight feet tall and, you know, four or 500 pounds that can achieve flight and has big glowing red eyes, you know, that, I can see where that could be put in the realm of possibility as supernatural. But in all actuality, it could also be a biological entity that evolved naturally on this planet. And so do you feel that um, there is some kind of a guideline that can be established, say, for example, um, if someone sees a Bigfoot, let's say someone comes to you and says, I, I believe I saw a Bigfoot, um, knowing what you know about cryptozoology and ghost research, etc., cetera, uh, what questions would you ask that person to try to ascertain if that person actually did see something that was more of a normal biological, albeit, you know, uh, extremely rare creature, or if they may have seen something like an apparition that they are mistaking for that. What's the, the, what's the course of questioning that you would use as an investigator? Well, first I would ask them if they actually saw it physically near anything and if they saw it touch anything or handle anything. Then I would ask if they, you know, if they saw footprints, um, a lot of a lot of misconceptions. Bigfoot, when when they think it's a supernatural being, is Bigfoot's gait is a lot different than ours. He walks in a pair, he, he walks in a straight line. All right, his 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 hip joint is different than ours. They they have a different dynamic in in their pendulum swing than us. So their gait is different. So when they walk, their head doesn't move. So it looks like they're floating. All right. So a lot of people correlate that with something supernatural. Well, I myself wouldn't. So the first thing I would ask them is if that area they saw you know, the creature in, did you look for 
footprints? Did you see any physical evidence? You know, did you see hair? Did you see it touch anything? And and then if we're looking more on the supernatural line, you know, you know, did you did you see it do anything? You know, extraordinary? Did you see it pass through a tree? Did you see it just vanish? You know, thing, things like that. So you can you can break it up. You know, and it's one of these things where the circumstances have to dictate the actions, which will you know change your questioning. So if you have someone that you know, isn't sure they're on the fence, but they saw this and, and then they thought do that. And then when they start thinking logically, well, maybe it was, you know, maybe it's locomotion was at the point where it just its head didn't bob and maybe it wasn't floating. Or maybe it was such a big creature that it didn't pass through a fence, it actually stepped over a fence. So I think it, it, can, it, it can go either way, Josh. You know, it, it depends on, on, on what the facts and the evidence left behind show. So every case is different. Every story is different. You know, everyone's memory of something is different. So, I mean, again, it's just, you know, it's situational. And speaking of evidence, on your new website, cryptidguy.com, you have begun the process of putting some pictures up there from uh, sites you've investigated. you want to talk a little bit about the pictures at cryptidguy.com? Oh, sure. Um, well, as you know, um, I investigate – I've got a, a – team that I work with, um, uh, one uh, gentleman named Daniel Tiny Hurst and uh, uh, someone else who worked with uh, Slim, and uh, we will not post anything that we don't think is true or, or factual. So when we're in the woods, we're in there for a long time. I move, we go pretty deep in the forest, Josh. So when we post our evidence, before we even take a picture of anything, we're looking around to explain it logically. So when we post something... It is what it is. There's no hidden agenda. There's no trickery. You know, we're not trying to fool anyone. So when we post these footprints or, or these tree structures we find or these handprints we find, it is, it is 100% legitimate. And uh, I'd be more than happy to take people out there and, and scare them. But uh, as far as the pictures we, we present, uh, our last couple of pictures, we were in uh, – uh, uh, Western Carolina, about nine miles in a uh, specific uh, woodland area. I don't want to give the location because I don't want anyone going out there and getting hurt. But we literally found uh, uh, footprints that were, one of them, I'm not sure if it was 20 inches. I mean, it's just the way the leaf litter actually landed, but it was, it was coming close to 19 and a half to 20 inches long, right about 10, 10 and a half inches wide. You could see where the toes had gripped in. Um, now, the thing that that really, really kind of freaked everyone out was the stride from heel to heel, Josh, was almost seven feet. Not only that, it was up about a 30-degree hill. So whatever this thing was, was booking, and it managed to keep that stride going up a hill that I literally had to basically climb up on all fours. Uh, it, was, it was insane. And then we found a handprint there that was almost... Uh, I want to say it was almost 15 inches one way. I mean, it was kind of, like I said, it was, it was in the mud, and there was some slop in there, but it, it was just, it was unbelievable. So um, while we were following these tracks, what we found at the end of the hill was literally someone had made a blind out of a bunch of sticks and leaves, and uh, they it looked like it, they were very intricately done. Um, and under the blind, if you were to sit under there, which I'm trying to get under there and look. There was a there was literally a uh, a position in which you saw this area down the hill, 
and we had found signs that deer had been sleeping there. We found hair, you know, uh, just some scats, some other things. But you could see where deer had been sleeping. So whatever had made that, specifically made that, I think, as, as a trap, uh, and they were hunting. So I think we came upon some hunting grounds there. And uh, about five minutes after Tiny was in the uh, trap or, or, or in the blind, we, we heard a, like, a noise like, <clears throat> and uh, that that kind of that kind of makes you wake up and pay attention because when you get some kind of reverberation that goes through your chest and you're not sure where it's coming from and you're doing what we're doing, you know, it gets the adrenaline going. So um, we, we got out of there, and uh, we actually have made plans to go back there in about two weeks, see if anything else is out there. But, I mean, this is the stuff we do. Um, we've had other uh, – other, another place we go, another one of our hotspots, it looked like a war had transpired in this part of the forest that we went into. Uh, there was tree branches that were pulled off eight feet. Um, they were smashed into other trees. This wasn't, you know, deadfall. This was stuff that was alive and, and fine, and it was smashed into other trees. And this went on probably 200 yards. And it looked like two titans had fought in the forest. I mean, that's, that's the best way I can explain it. And as we were going in, uh, to the trail system, there was like four or five trees that had been placed there. None of them had a root system. I mean, they were, they were literally broken off and dragged there. You could see where two of them were dragged there. Um, and while we were coming back, a couple hours later, there was an additional three. So, you know, it's just stuff like that that makes you pay attention. And Because uh, when you're out there, you never know what you're going to get. I mean, we've had weird instances uh, go off. Uh, we, we've had issues. Uh, you want me to talk about the camera equipment issue? Yeah, sure. Let's do it. Um, I have a brand new GoPro 6, and uh, we were in one of our areas, and we kept seeing something that looked like it was a glimmery, shiny object, like in the distance. It always stayed about 100 yards from us. And I, I know this sounds cliche, Josh, but uh, the best way to look, you know, explain this, it kind of remember Predator, yeah. that just that the way things were glinting and shining. It, it looked like Predator. I mean, it did. I mean, we didn't hear any noises or anything. Um, as we were filming, as a good paranormal investigator always does, uh, we had a natural meter with us. And just just had a habit, every, you know, quarter mile or so, we just take a reading. And we were literally in the middle of nowhere. And we put it on a thumb setting. And for those who don't know what thumb setting is, it's like electromagnetic kind of setting. It picks up on, you know, electromagnetic stuff, uh, like power lines, things like that, uh, electrical equipment. And, uh, again, we were so far out there, you know, the phones weren't even working. And all of a sudden, our meter starts spiking at 10 for about 15, 20 seconds, and then it stops. So about five minutes after that, we continue to walk. And I'm looking at the remote on my GoPro, and it's flashing. And it says, files being accessed, file deletion complete. And I had just put a fresh battery in there, and my batteries in both my uh, remote and my GoPro died. <laughs> so we still have no idea how that happened. And now that was witnessed by me and Tiny. I mean, we were kind of freaking out, and then we decided we are going to leave after that. So it, it's just you, you never know what you're going to run into out there. And it's, you know, the more time you spend out there, the more you realize you just don't know what's going on. Yeah, well, especially if you consider that when you're in the wild, I mean, th these are areas that are less uh, disturbed and disrupted by the 
man, the hands of man. And so whatever might happen to be there, even naturally, whether it has to do with some kind of unusual earth energy or something along those lines, ought to be more uh, more enhanced and, and more intense. And so I can see why you never know exactly what you're going to stumble into. Um, but when it comes to these kinds of cases, in particular about uh, Bigfoot and these cryptids that you think in many cases may be something we could eventually capture and, and have you know in a cage, um, if someone were to come to you and give you an unlimited budget and say, do whatever needs to be done in order to solve this mystery, in order for us to, um, to attain one of these, uh, how would you proceed? What would be the ideal investigation to, to solve this mystery? Oh, that is a good question, Josh. Oh, so many things. Unlimited budget? I don't know. I, I, I might be dangerous with that. I'd have to get one of those helicarriers like uh, – they have in the Avengers. Um, I, I honestly, I would just, uh, I would put people in the woods, uh, deep in the forest, twenty four seven. I would honestly uh, put thermal cameras up, just as many as possible, and eventually you're going to get something. I mean, that's that's honestly, if I had enough money to do it, that's what I would do. But I would, I would do it location wise all over the country. I mean, it wouldn't just be in the Appalachian Mountains. I'd do it in Texas, Louisiana, you know, Georgia, Maine. And then you hit the West Coast, uh, Iowa, you know, uh, on, in the middle states in between. I, I would probably just feasibly hit uh, as much open forest as this country has. I would I would put uh, some kind of camera system in and, and hope for the best. I mean, I really don't think there's any other way you can do it. I mean, you can send people in, but then again, you know, if these creatures are half as smart as they are, they're going to know they're coming. So unless you can pretty much surround them and absolutely know where something is, you know, then I don't think you'd uh, benefit too well from that because you wouldn't want anything getting hurt or anyone getting hurt. I think these creatures will take care of themselves. I don't think they're necessi- I don't think they're incessantly violent, but I think if provoked, they will take care of themselves. So, I mean, that that's also a trick bag there, too. Like, I would not want to run into a dog man after I ticked him off. That's just me. <laughs> well, you know, uh, Christian, there are people who contact me all the time, and they say, look, uh, no matter what research is done, I'm going to have to see it to believe it. I personally am going to have to see it to believe it. And there are people who want to go out, and they want to do investigations, uh, whether it be an investigation of a haunted site or a UFO hotspot or a place where there have been dogmen and Bigfoot and you name it running around, there are people who want to go out into the field themselves and do what you're doing. And, you know, I used to occasionally take people out into the field. I don't do that too much anymore because, frankly, I just don't have the time for it. And it, it, it does take, as you know, a lot of time to organize a good investigation with a number of people or an expedition, but you still love doing it. And so I tell people, if you would like to go on an investigation, especially somewhere you know in near the Blue Ridge Mountains, you should contact Christian McLeod. So let's talk to those people for a minute out there who, who want to go out and, and do something in the field with you. Uh, what's the process that they should take and what can you offer to them? Well, I mean, the best thing they can do is get in touch with me through cryptidguide.com or com, and, you know, we can arrange something. And I personally 
before I take someone out, I want to know their experience. I want to know their abilities. Um, and the other thing is, you know, we go I, – I, I go out armed. My team is armed, but everyone has a permit. So if someone wanted to come out armed, you know, they would have to have a permit. We do everything 100% legit. Let me tell you, and this is how far I go, Josh, and this is just a little something I've learned on the way. Before we go anywhere, I actually call the forest department and ask them if it's okay if we do an investigation in that area. I give them my name, my phone number, and I tell them what we're driving because I don't want any problems. So if someone would have a problem with that, then they probably don't want to deal with me because we, we do everything 100% above board. But uh, we, we were uh, currently we're offering uh, hikes, uh, day hikes for cryptid activity. We'll take you into a specific area, show you what to look for, a uh, little bit of safety training. And uh, our current the, the position, uh, I'm sorry, the place where we currently do that right now is impassable through all the storms we've had. So right now we're probably not going to be doing anything until probably mid-July, but uh, we're we're taking we've got a pretty good list right now of people that want to go with us. Uh, and like I said, when when you go and you decide to do an investigation with us, we give you a, a list of stuff to bring, what not to bring. You know, we don't allow any drugs or alcohol. If you have a farm, you have to be licensed for it. Uh, we don't want any like we don't want anyone getting hurt. So there's no wahoos. Uh, we we sign two you know, waivers. I mean, it's, it's, it's a, it's very done. It's done. We do it very scientifically because this is scientific research for us. You know, this is, this is something we're trying to share with people to get them, you know, excited about going out in the woods and, and looking for these creatures. But on the flip side, we're also very, very careful about their safety. So everything is just, it's, it's, everything is done to learn, but it's done in a safe environment. Does that make sense? Cause that's, that's what oh, we yeah. try to, to make sure people understand because it can be, you know, you're, you're eight, nine miles out in a forest, you know, nothing works. I mean, you are there. When I take people out, Josh, you know, and this is a little spiel I give them, and, and when people ask me, they're like, you know, how are you going to show me what's out there? And I always say this. I say something like, you know, here's how I'm going to show you what I know. I will take you miles in the deepest, darkest parts of what I call the ancient forest of Western North Carolina in the middle of the Appalachian Mountains. I mean, this is where we're going. I want people to understand that's where we're going. You know, you're going to a place where your cell phone's not going to work, your car radio's not going to work, your modern technology's not going to help you, you know, something else people have to keep in mind. There is no 911, you know. There's no one to call if something happens and you need it. That's how far out we go, you know. And it's just basically it's you, your skills, the raw primitive dangers that, come miss that area and and when we're in this place and you you look around and you realize that humanity hasn't touched this area we're going to look for things and i'm going to show you evidence of these creatures that will literally change your reality and the way you think about the world and then when you're done with that you're going to get home you're going to sit down and you're going to think that everything that you've been told exists and what is really out there it's not the truth and and then you'll have this different way of looking at things. And that's what I want to do. I want people to realize that there's a bigger picture out there than what's being presented. Well, and of course, uh, for those who don't want to go on such a daring adventure, if somebody just wants to do something that's a little safer and closer to home, they want to go to a haunted house or something like that, I mean, you can accommodate that as well. And in fact, uh, that's I, why it's important yeah. to point out you're a, you're a ghost yeah. tour guide for Haunted Asheville. 
I am one of the lucky three, as you know. Uh, I have literally one of the best jobs in the world. I am a paranormal investigator that gets to do ghost tours in one of the haunted many. You know, there's we're we're lucky because we live in Asheville, Josh, and well, a lot of people take that for granted. But Asheville has been around since 1760s. And in that time, all this paranormal energy has built up, and there are so many haunted buildings and stories in this wonderful town we live in that all you can do is just sit there and awe sometimes and think, oh, my goodness, this building's been around for 200 years. What's happened here? Or, you know, what happened over here? Or we've actually, you know, for those most people who don't know, Josh has actually taken people to the Allison Deaver's house too, and that's, that's been, you know, a big high point in my life because most people can't get in there. But if, if, if you want and you want to do a paranormal tour, I'd be more than happy to help you out with that. Uh, you can go to Haunted Asheville, um, just Haunted Asheville, and you can get tickets there. Uh, I do uh, Monday and Tuesdays at 8 and Fridays at 9, and we pretty much have uh, paranormal tours 8 o'clock, Monday through Friday. Uh, and then what we have, what, when does Tad do with Supernatural? Yeah, Tad McDevitt does his uh, only once a week, 8 o'clock on Fridays, mm-hmm. uh-huh. Yeah, and that is an incredible tour. That is that's that's one of my favorites too. Uh, it's just incredible. But the city of Asheville is just is so rich in history and things that have happened here. Um, like I said, as a historian, it's just it's it's not you know I got to be it's not like going to work. It's... Yeah, um, Christian, can you hear me right now? Okay, I think we may have lost our connection to <laughs> Christian. It's been storming like crazy in Asheville today. And so I'm sure you heard a little bit of disruption there. Um, But let me see if I can get Christian back on the line. Are you back? Yeah, I'm sorry about There was a thunderbolt and everything went dead. Yeah, well, in fact, I mean, uh, this whole conversation has been, um, it's been clear enough for the show, but still I could tell that the the signals are taking a a hurting there from all the thunderstorm activity. But we're still recording, and so I told everybody I would get you back in. So, uh, all right, so you were basically um, just finishing up the idea that, look, if there are people who are really into cryptids, and they want to go out into the middle of nowhere and really mm-hmm. get away from the distractions of civilization in a potentially dangerous situation, uh, you can take them there and guide them there safely and back. But if there are people who don't want to go that extreme, maybe they just want to go out for a few hours and they want to see some interesting places where they can do some investigations, take some pictures, maybe even hit up a pub, have a beer, you know, a much more convenient experience. Uh, you can offer that sort of stuff as well through cryptidguy.com, right? Yes, sir. We can totally do that. And like I said, the best way to arrange something is, is we like doing parties of five or more. So um, if you just email cryptidguy.com and tell them you're interested in doing something, just leave your contact information. Uh, we'll get with you. And, I like to basically kind of, you know, curtail everyone's experience to their uh, level. Again, it's it's a safety issue, so we definitely can we we can make everyone happy doing something. Yeah, and and again, I want everybody to realize that when you go to say TripAdvisor and places like that, and you look at reviews for haunted Asheville tour guides, people go to TripAdvisor and they are they're brutal. They don't care if they hurt your feelings or whatever. And Christian has always gotten rave reviews. Everybody loves having him as a guide, so I hope people will take advantage of the fact that you are there, 
you were capable, you were willing, you were able to take people out on these adventures that go one step beyond just a, a two-hour ghost tour. So uh, aside from visiting cryptidguy.com and uh, keeping you updated or corresponding with you about cryptid activity or requesting these types of investigations, is there anything else you'd like to tell folks who might be interested in you and your work? Well, no. I mean, um, I, Josh, I, I, what I'd like to do is I'd like to thank you for taking the time to do this because I know what a busy schedule you'll have, and this means a lot. Um, you know, and I, I can honestly say I'm actually a very lucky man because my wife, Caitlin, lets me do this. Uh, not a whole lot of wives are as patient as mine. You know, what is your husband doing today? Oh, he's out in the woods looking for Bigfoot. So <laughs> I, I'm very lucky to have that. And um, I know this is going to sound really weird, but I would also like to thank uh, Western Carolina uh, University. And here's why. I've, I've got a group of professors that have been so supportive in both the education and the history department. They actually come up and give me ideas. I'll run research by them. Uh, they've actually given me research. So it, it's one of these things where it's like I feel so lucky because I've, I've had everything kind of fall into place just by the, the people I'm, I'm lucky enough to know. And I feel very grateful for that. And, uh, I, you know, it, and the biggest part of that is uh, a lot of that is, is, is especially thanks to you, my friend, because, you know, without you I wouldn't have met uh, half these people I know. And, uh, again, I just, I'm just i very grateful for that. And uh, I just want you to know I appreciate it. Well, you're very welcome, and uh, thank you for doing the work that you do and taking such good care of the museum in Asheville and uh, all of the other projects. I mean, coming all the way out here to Las Vegas to uh, help with the big event that I did here, I mean, uh, you're always on top of everything. And so um, I want to congratulate you on cryptidguy.com. Um, and I know that you have some television opportunities coming up in the near future, so uh, I think people might be seeing you on the on the screen sooner than later. But uh, you're doing great work, and so we'll keep everybody updated. And once again, uh, that website is C-R-Y-P-T-I-D, cryptidguy.com. You can go there, email Christian. He's very responsive, and uh, he would love to hear from you. So Christian McLeod, Thank you, my friend, for being on the show, and we will talk again soon. Hey, Josh, thank you so much for having me, man. It means a lot. Appreciate you. Hey, and congratulations on your uh, latest experiment. That's that's incredible. That's awesome. Let's start calling right. you Time Lord. <laughs> All right. Thanks, brother. Bye-bye.